Well, what I would like to do with the time that we have this evening is to take this new commandment that Jesus is giving his disciples to love uh, one another as I have loved you and to see what we can learn as to what that should look like and what that is about um, as we look at this upper room uh, scene that we just read and heard from where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It's important then this evening to feel the tension and the awkwardness that the disciples are for sure experiencing and why they are experiencing that tension when Jesus bends to wash their feet um, together. So let us return to this upper room to consider a few things about this culture that will help us uh, to understand that better. First, there's the custom of foot washing in general, which is sort of the baseline of hospitality. When you had someone over to your home, it was custom that upon entering, their feet would be washed in a very similar mode as depicted here in John 13. But second, and perhaps more in view of this scene, is who would be doing the washing. Because it wouldn't be the host who would wash your feet. It would be the servant of the home itself or the, the servant who was working at that house. And refle- reflecting, just, you know, we could use our imaginations, right? Reflecting a little bit uh, upon the mode of travel in that day, the conditions of the roads, the use of animals, and the nature of shoes then, one can imagine that people's feet were pretty gross and about as probably messy as the streets themselves. And so foot washing is not just uh, the least desirable job in the house, but it is also the responsibility of the least of these in the house, the servant or the slave that is working there. It is not just an act of humiliation, we might say, but an indicator as to where you belong in society. So much so that Jews were actually forbidden to do this. And not just Jews, but even Jewish servants or Jewish slaves were forbidden to do this, Bruce Milne writes, this was particular, particularly hum, a humble task included in a list of works which a Jewish slave should not be required to perform. So even in the servant-slave world, there are rankings <clears throat> such that foot washing being the type of act that it was, was forbidden by Jewish slaves or servants. In other words, no Jewish person typically should be doing this, period. And this is why when Jesus in verse 4, when he rises from the table and he takes this outer garment, his outer garment off and he ties a towel around his waist and he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet, that the disciples are immediately put into a very awkward, if not taboo, situation. They simply don't know what to do. Jesus is doing something that Jews are not allowed to do, but it's not the act itself that is so polarizing as much as it would be. It's the place that Jesus is putting himself in as the foot washer, a place designated for the least of these. If you are a disciple of Jesus in this room at this point, you might be wondering, how can my leader be doing this? The person with the most authority in the room at this point, how can they perform such an act? And so let's consider also whose feet he's actually washing in the first place. He's not washing the feet of royalty here. He's not washing the feet of anyone important, but the feet of, what, uneducated disciples who really don't do a good job of following him. That is who he is 
bending down to wash. So Jesus is literally turning worlds and cultures and even kingdoms upside down in this moment. So what happens? Well, another familiar scene in the Gospels, of course. The tension rises to a point where someone has to say something. And, of course, it's Peter at this point. And Peter speaks up in verses 6 and 8. And he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And then quickly, you shall never wash my feet. And probably the most pregnant line in the entire story, Jesus replies, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. In other words, if I do not wash you, you cannot be a part of me. You can't not belong to me. You can't be a part of the kingdom that I am about and the kingdom that I'm bringing. And so first, our first question, why does Jesus want Peter to belong to him in the first place? So two questions for us to look at. Why does Jesus want Peter to belong to him in the first place? Peter is a bad disciple, right? He does a few things right every now and then, but for the most part, right, he just doesn't get it. On top of that, in the coming hours, Peter is going to 100% betray Jesus in one of the coldest acts of betrayal in the Bible. But Jesus knows this already, and still he washes his feet. So why does Jesus want Peter to belong to him? We could even say the same about Judas, who is in the story as well. Why? And the answer to simple simply begs more questions. The reason Jesus wants Peter or Judas or any of the disciples in that room to belong to him is because Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. Why does he love them? Because he loves them. I know, Ryan, but why? It's because he loves them. And the same would be true if any of you were in this room. Jesus wants you to share in him as well. To belong to him. He would place himself at your feet in a servant's role. And why? Because he loves you. I, I know, Ryan, but why? It's because he loves you. This type of love is difficult for us to understand. You might even say that it doesn't make a lot of sense. Simply put, we just don't love this way. We don't know how to love this way. That is, we don't understand love like this until we are shown it, until Jesus what loves us first. But it's how God has always loved throughout the Bible. I think it's important for us tonight in light of all that is in front of us this week to begin here. That Jesus is willing and able to do what is most humiliating, foot washing in this scene. In order to communicate that he loves you for no other reason than he loves you. And that there is nothing beneath him. Nothing that he will not do to show you that. And why? So that you might belong to him. So that you might share in him. And as the humiliation of foot washing will give way to the humiliation of the cross in the next day. We, along with Peter, will hopefully see that. Which gets to the second question. How will Peter belong to Jesus? If Jesus wants Peter to belong to him because he loves him, how? What must take place for this to happen? And verse 8 tells us, Jesus must wash Peter. Peter will have to let Jesus wash him, to put it another way. 
Or you could say it will have to be Jesus that Peter runs to and only Jesus in order to be made clean. Like Peter this night, and this should be encouraging to us, we often find ourselves somewhere between you shall never wash me, you shall never wash my feet, or Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, we don't always get it as well. In fact, many, including myself, rarely get it. We often underestimate how unclean we are, and we oversimplify what it will take to be made clean in a spiritual sense. But maybe for some of us this evening, we underestimate even our worth and our value before the Lord, asking, why would you even care about me in the first place? And so it's hard to even fathom someone such as the second member of the Trinity serving you, loving you in this capacity, well, just because he does. But that's the tension, right? That's the tension of the evening. The encouraging part of this text tonight is that if Peter tells us or shows us anything, he shows us that getting it is not a prerequisite for Jesus loving us and for Jesus serving us. For on a night like this, grace surely abounds. So how will Peter belong to Jesus? He will have to let Jesus wash him. It will have to be Jesus that Peter runs to in order to be made clean. Peter will have to let Jesus do something that only Jesus can do. He will have to let Jesus do something that really is unthinkable in his mind right now, foot washing. He will have to let Jesus do something that this act of humiliation actually only points to, and that is he will have to let Jesus die for him on a cross where, like water, his blood will wash away every sin. And in so doing, belonging to Jesus will be made possible. And the same is true for us this evening. Belonging to Jesus is only made possible if we let him wash us, but not with water, with his blood. Because unless it's Jesus shed blood too that we run to in order to be made clean, we can have no part in him. We can't belong to him. So we've seen why Jesus wants Peter to belong to him, and we've seen how Peter will belong to him. What does this have to do then with the new commandment that Jesus gives to love one another just as he has loved us? A few things to consider as we close our time together. Jesus wants us to love others as he has loved us, as he says in verse 35. And this room gives us a picture of what that looks like that the cross will finally paint in the next day. And that is to love as he has loved is to serve and even to do so to suffer humiliation in the process. Which means, one, there are, for those who would follow Christ, for his disciples, for those in the room, and certainly for us this evening, there are no acts of service beneath us. Again, consider what is happening here, foot washing. And who is supposed to be doing that? And yet Jesus takes that role. Jesus is not only demonstrating that he will do anything, he is demonstrating that he is willing to suffer humiliation for his people. And that's a radical way to love that doesn't come naturally to us or to the world. Therefore, there are no acts of service beneath us if we are, as Christ's followers, to make this new commandment that he gives ours. But second, we are not only called to love those closest to us, as Jesus is loving his disciples in this very scene, but we are actually called to love those who are our enemies as well. 
See, John intentionally wants Judas weaved through this story for that purpose. Jesus truly suffered humiliation, not just for those that loved him, but what for his enemies. I don't naturally, if at all, love like that. It's not a category I walk around with. So we should pray, and we should pray and ask God to give us the capacity to love like that for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of this world. But lastly, and probably the most challenging, the way Jesus loves us is not by wielding his power and authority either, doing that for personal gain or for comfort, but Jesus loves by laying it down, laying down his power and authority, by giving it up to serve us and to serve us in the most humiliating of ways. We are all given certain amounts of power and authority in our lives, some more, some less. And what the church is tasked with is meeting the world's needs and pains and sorrows the best way that it can so that people might ultimately share in Jesus Christ. But Jesus shows us what this will truly take if we're to take this new command seriously. It will take Christians setting down their power and authority and right to be treated fairly. It will take us laying down our power and authority to love enemies instead of just those who are nice to us. Why? Because this is how Jesus loves us. the one who has been given all power and authority so that people might ultimately share in him. But Jesus shows us again what this will truly take. It'll take laying these things down. The one who has been given all authority does what in this scene? He takes up a cloth and a basin of water and dirty feet. In the hours to come, those symbols will take the form of a cross as we know. Where we will lay down his, where he will lay down his authority and right to be treated fairly. He will lay down his power and his right to rule over his enemies. And instead, he will take the form of a servant, one willing to suffer humiliation on something as wretched as a cross. And why? So that we might share in him, that he would belong to us. The new commandment to love one another then as Jesus has loved us gives us the authority to love and to love another, that the world might, excuse me, gives us the authority to love in a way that the world might not recognize, but that the world desperately needs. In so doing, we not only retell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we actually in that moment become participators in it as well, to love as he has loved So I'll leave you with this question. In what ways might the church take up this command to serve and to love, to suffer humiliation for one another, to lay down our power and our authority, that the world might see something that at first they don't understand, but then as they peer closer, as they begin to see what this love is, they are drawn to its beauty in such a way that they would want to know, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Where did you learn to love this way? This is the new commandment, that you love others as I have loved you. Let's pause here for a minute to silently reflect upon this new commandment before we take the supper 
And before we see the table stripped to symbolize the humiliation of Jesus at the hands of his enemies. And I will break our time with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the kind of God who would come here, who would humble himself, who would take on flesh, and would see and seat himself as the least of these to serve not just those that love you or that you even love, but your enemies that you love all. And you show that in your act here. We pray that as we reflect upon that, we see the types of service that you are performing, the acts of humiliation that, that you are taking on so that we might share in you. We pray that we would uh, reflect deeply upon that, that we would see this grace that you're offering us, that we would receive it, and that we would look at you and we would say that there was no other place for me to run to in order to be made clean. Uh, would you be with us tonight? We ask this in your son's name. Amen.